Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, it's Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 398 of the podcast for January 27th, 2021. To find links and show notes, uh, you can go to leanblog.org slash 398. Please subscribe, rate, and review if you haven't already done so. And I want to again thank our friends at Styles Associates for sponsoring the podcast. Now, here's our episode with Brent Cooper and Evans Kerrigan. We're joined today by uh, two guests. They're co-authors of a, a book that was recently released. We'll talk about that. They are Brett M. Cooper and Evans Kerrigan. Brett is the president and co-founder of a firm called Integris Performance Advisors. And Evans is co-founder and CEO of the firm. So it sounds like uh, quite the partnership and uh, we'll, we'll learn more about your work and the book and all of that. So uh, first off, Brett and Evans, thank you for being guests here on the podcast. Yeah, glad to be here, Mark. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting us. So I always like to, um, as much as I have standard work in my podcast, I like to let my guests introduce themselves and, and you can tell your stories and your story um, together in terms of uh, the work that you do and, and your background and your experience with Lean. Um, so Brett, I think you are up to the plate first. Yeah, I'd be glad to do that, Mark. And uh, I'm guessing our story might be similar to a lot of the folks that are listening here in that uh, Evans and I actually started working together back in 2002. So we, we're, we're going on 20 years of working together. And back in 2002, we were working for a firm that specialized uh, primarily in Lean Six Sigma training. We did a ton of green belt training, black belt training. You know, this is when GE uh, was the poster child yeah. for Lean Six Sigma. And, um, you know, they're pounding on the table saying, you need to have 10% of your workforce as green belts and 3% as black belts. And Jack Welch was the greatest CEO in the world because of his focus on this. And we were doing a ton of great work as far as that kind of training and uh, working on projects. So uh, I, I was in charge of a lot of the business development process of that. So I was talking with the executives and they were saying, you know, we, we want to do this training because we want, just like GE, we want this, this lean thinking, the Six Sigma ideals. We want this to be part of the DNA of our organization. Mm -hmm. And essentially, Mark, what we found was... You know, we were doing a lot of really good projects, having a lot of uh, impact on process improvement, but that that culture change was elusive mm -hmm. uh, from the skills that we were teaching on the Lean Six Sigma, the Green Belt, the Black Belt, things like that. And so uh, Evans and Evans was uh, was one of the consultants for the firm. And so we started doing some things on the side with a couple of clients around leadership and team dynamics, and it started working really, really well. Well, uh, we, we talked to the, the management of the organization that we were working for and said, hey, you know, we should bring more leadership and team dynamics into the Lean and Six Sigma work that we're doing. And uh, that, that organization had a, had, had a nice footprint in that training space and kind of said, yeah, nah, we don't want to do that. And that gave Evans and I the, uh, the bug. And so we stepped away. And in 2011, we started Integris Performance Advisors. And we did that knowing that we wanted to continue 
the Lean Six Sigma kind of training, the operations, the process improvement kind of training, but we wanted to do it more effectively, more successfully by bringing in the, the leadership and the, the team dynamics. And that's really the journey that we've been on since launching this firm in 2011. And that's also what, what kind of led us to, to writing that book. Yeah. And, and so before uh, we get to Evans, just as a follow-up for you, Brian, I mean, going back yeah. 20 years ago, you mentioned Lean Six Sigma. Is it fair to say that, I mean, Jack Welch was really heavily into Six Sigma. Were right. you layering Lean on top of Six Sigma the way Michael George and others were doing around that time? Yeah, it's a fantastic question. You know, it was, uh, when I started with the firm, uh, it was it was Six Sigma. It was really Six Sigma. And then it was probably two years into it that the lean in the Six Sigma started coming together. Um, you know, it's kind of like a, a, a Reese's peanut butter cup, right? That was the, the the lean and the Six Sigma coming together. So by the time we were done with that firm, we were, we were all about lean Six Sigma. But yeah, at first we were we were a Six Sigma training organization for sure. Yeah. And I think of that analogy and you're making me hungry because I love peanut butter cups. Um, <laughs> the chocolate and the peanut butter, that filling, it's peanut butter and sugar and whatever else, but they remain right. distinct separate things. You can identify the chocolate and mm -hmm. the peanut butter and they can go together. I'm you know, willing, willing to admit that as well, as opposed to it being all just blended into a brownish gray, whatever. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. And in <laughs> fact, be, be, the, the way that I got to the the lean, the, the lean and the Six Sigma consulting is prior to that, uh, I, I was doing some work in New York. I was working for American Express and that's when American Express was doing their Six Sigma efforts. And so I got a taste of it then. And so after I left uh, American Express and did some internet startup work, I decided, you know, that, that whole Six Sigma thing was pretty interesting. And that's how I got into the uh, consulting business of it. Yeah, well, cool. Um, so Evans, um, why don't you tell a little bit like Brett did yeah. about your background and, and some of your journey. Yeah, so Brett's given you a little bit of our common background already. Uh, my journey on continuous improvement actually starts a lot further back. Uh, when I first got out of the Air Force uh, in 1990, I was working in the financial services industry, and we needed to improve our processes. Uh, we were going to be a victim of our own success uh, because we had processes that had worked really well when we were really small. And... Uh, we went from $8 billion in assets under management to over $80 billion in assets under management in one year. And every process we had would not have survived that. So really quickly, we needed to start improving our processes dramatically. And I was tasked with actually helping drive that effort. Hmm. At that time, it was TQM. So I'm going back a little bit further here. Sure. Uh, went from there, we actually ended up bringing in Six Sigma a little bit later on. Uh, and then in my time in corporate America, I did Six Sigma implementations and we actually started playing a little bit with lean. Uh, what I would say about kind of your, your discussion about the combination of the two, we have some clients where, yeah, there really is a combination of those two. I would say that actually more and more, we're seeing clients who really want more of a pure lean mm -hmm. uh, uh, entry into the space. And, and I think there's a couple of really basic reasons for that. Uh, Six Sigma has a lot of structure that is not necessarily helpful in all cases. Uh, and to be perfectly honest, I think part of it is heck, going all the way back to Deming, right? Driving fear out of the workplace. Let's face it, statistics scare people. Mm -hmm. So the idea of working more from observable, what I can see, what I can touch, what I can make happen right now, 
I think lean just appeals to a lot more people and it invites more of the organization in to, to really spread your problem solvers rather than the 10% and 2% that, that Brett was talking about, really making everybody in the organization a problem solver. So we mm-hmm. find for most of our clients now, we're doing a lot more lean work mm-hmm. than really uh, six signal work. So that is where we got our start. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, people, yeah, the, the statistics can be intimidating. And, you know, even when, let's say within the context of lean, when I layer statistical process control on top of that, mm-hmm. or what, you know, Don Wheeler dubbed yeah. process behavior charts, mm-hmm. that, that, that can seem intimidating. Now, you know, it, it, yeah. it, you know, like any yeah. skill, people can be trained on it. They can get comfortable with it. They can incorporate yeah. it. But um, yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking back now, this is almost 20 years ago, we'll call it 16 years ago, the last manufacturing company I worked for, had um, Lean and Six Sigma under kind of an overall banner. And I went through essentially a Lean Black Belt program where mm-hmm. it's funny, it was funny, the, uh, the the comparison, the focus was on solving the business problem at hand. It was an on-time delivery challenge and part of the facility. One of my uh, colleagues and friends um, was going through the Six Sigma Black Belt track and she was working on a very similar problem in a different area. And I remember talking to her, we shared a cubicle wall and you know, how are you coming? Are you getting that problem solved? And there was so much emphasis on, well, I have to use all of these different tools, right? right. Statistical tools before I can get certified. I'm not saying it has to be like that in every organization. And I may have biases now of thinking of, of well, you know, the, the, the emphasis is a little too much on checking the box on using all these different tools, whether it was really relevant to solving yeah. the business problem. Yeah, I, I actually had a project with a client. I was doing uh, some training with them and they were one of those co- kind of combined. They wanted to do Lean and Six Sigma and have it all tied together. And uh, I got a frantic call from one of my project leaders as we're, we were having them do data collection. And she calls and she says, I have a problem. And I said, well, why? What's the problem? She said, well, um, we've already met, we've met our goal. I said, okay, so I'm not concerning, I'm not considering that a problem. And, <laughs> right. and it was in going out to collect data as they started to ask questions about how were people doing things, they said, oh, you mean you want that faster? Oh yeah, I can do that. And <laughs> yeah, it was really just the communication had never happened about how the process is tied together. And, and the solution is there. That's beautiful. Yeah. I, yeah, the idea should never be continuous improvement is a way for us to generate work to do things that we could simply solve with a conversation. Mm-hmm. Well, well, that was something that we saw with uh, a, a bunch of our certification efforts, right? For Six Sigma was, mm-hmm. you know, Evans. Yeah. We we had a number of projects where just looking at it, getting people together and talking, all of a sudden you're able to solve the problem. All right, like getting people to work together yeah. in a different way, and people were struggling because they said, "Well, I need to get my Six Sigma certification, and I need to prove that I can use this tool and that tool and this tool." And we're like, "But you solved the problem. You're good." Yeah, so, yeah. 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 I mean, it's tough. If uh, yeah. like you know, I, I'll get- to your scenario, Brett, um, it would be it would be un- it would be dysfunctional if we were going to have that conversation, and then someone jumped in and said, "Wait, wait, 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 wait. We've got to do a project charter first. Right. <laughs> or or on the lean side, a similar yeah. you know idea around, wait, wait, yeah. no, we, we need to start our A3. Don't solve that yet. Don't jump to solutions. Well, maybe it's not that complicated yeah. of a problem where, where it doesn't require yeah. anything more than putting our heads together, coming up with something that can be tested in a, a, a quick iterative manner. Yeah. And, and, and I would say this kind of goes back to something one of your earlier guests talked about. Uh, back in October, you had Elizabeth Swan on the on the show mark and elizabeth talked about structure setting you free 
And the way that we look at structure is, is that structure should be a, a, a framework to give you, you know, some guidelines, some guardrails, but it should not be something that you have to apply step by step by step if you don't need every step, right? It's a, it's, it's a framework, it's a guideline. And Elizabeth talked a lot about that, that whole idea of structure setting you free. And, and, and we absolutely believe that to be the case. And there were a lot of organizations back in the day and, and unfortunately still some, but especially back in the day where Six Sigma was a, a structure that was a confining structure mm-hmm. uh, far too often than a structure that would set them free. Yeah. And I'm sorry, Evans, you, you, I cut you off. You were about to say something a couple minutes minute ago. Oh, I guess we've lost. I'm not sure what that was anymore, Mark. I got to be perfectly honest. I trade left the station. Yeah. <laughs> the conversation yeah. I, moved past I, that. Sorry. <laughs> it, it, it does. I mean, this is the, the joy of all of this type of work. And part of why I got to consulting in the first place is really that when that light bulb comes on and when people can see a simpler way. And if I can get there in two steps instead of 17, mm-hmm all the more power, you know, I would rather certify somebody by giving them some workbook examples. If they can actually solve a problem in the business, that's the part that matters. Yeah. But we have, and we talk about that when people have, have gotten certified from us, I'm much less interested in what you score on in the academic test of how you do those. Can you actually make change happen for an organization? Do you help an organization move forward and get better? That's at the end of the day, that's what counts. And I've seen so many people who have certifications but I don't think could actually get a project delivered. Mm-hmm. And, and I've seen a lot of people who actually don't have maybe the formal education, but they're really good at asking good questions and, and helping people get better. And there's, there's power in the questions even more than there is in the answers. So, mm-hmm. so when people can really, when people can do that, when they have that, that, that curiosity, that desire to find a better way, right. it's amazing what can get done. So well, I, think, I, I think sometimes, yeah, we constrict ourselves by trying to fit into this formula. Yeah. Well, so I think we're foreshadowing a little bit when we dive into the discussion of your book. And I should have said up front, we'll repeat the title a number of times. Uh, the, the book is titled um, Solving the People Problem, and we'll, we'll dive into that. But um, it sounds like you're touching on things that are in the book, um, interpersonal skills, um, mm-hmm. coaching, culture, yeah. leadership. Um, not just IQ, but EQ. Yeah, that's, that's, very much so. Yeah, it's actually interesting. Uh, Mark, I don't know if I'm preempting you or, or not, but the way that we actually got connected for this show was uh, I, I sent you an announcement, uh, an email announcement that we had the book out and that it was doing well. It, it rocketed up to a, an Amazon bestseller in the first week. And you sent me a note back and said, wait a second, wait a second. What are you, what are you talking about the people problem? Are you saying that people are the problem? And of course, yeah, that that started a, a, a great conversation between us. Yeah. Did it, did it seem like I was shouting? I wasn't trying to shout at you in the email. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not exactly. Um, but, you know, coming from the background of, of lean and I mean, you know, one of the core principles of lean is that it's all about respect for people and that people aren't usually the problem. And in the vast majority of cases, it's the process that's right. the problem. Right. So I, I knew exactly where you were coming from. And in fact, you know, we took a we took a little bit of a cue from Patrick Lencioni uh, in writing the in the the title of this book. You know, he he wrote that book, "The Five Dysfunctions of a Team," and uh, you know, it's a it's a little bit um, of a of a controversial kind of a 
kind of a thing. So, you know, we did the same kind of thing with the the book with solving the people problem. Yeah. But um, one of the one of the subtitles that we considered uh, on this was solving the people problem, and the problem starts with you, right? Uh, it's that's, it's that's, about that's, looking that's at a, yourself. Yeah. Right. So, so that that that's a that would be controversial to different people for different reasons. This is true. This so, is true. But I mean, this we've probably true. seen this a lot where um, you you're sort of called into an organization and a leader at some level thinks the problem is the people. Like come in and train the frontline mm-hmm. staff so that they can be lean. I'm like, well, yeah. I don't know if that's really how I would frame the problem. I, and that's actually what we saw all too often was organizations that where leadership said we want to be a lean organization just make it happen with those people mm-hmm. and, and w- which, which is impossible, right? It's really about a cultural change that we all need to be part of. But one of the things that we found about uh, this is the people problem. is not that people are a problem because we believe the exact opposite. People are the opportunity. But what we see too often is that the way in which we interact with one another leaves stuff on the table. Mm-hmm. We make assumptions about how people act. And when we see people act in a little bit different way or come at things from a little bit different perspective, we view that as right and wrong mm-hmm. versus different. And the opportunity and the possibility comes out of that difference. So really, it's about our ability to really honor the differences that we have mm-hmm. and to be able to capture the value of those differences when we come at things from a little bit different perspective. And when we don't do that, so it's, it's really it's the process of our interaction that lets us better get to the process of our work mm-hmm. to improve it. Yeah. So I mean, what you're describing sounds like it could be described as uh, maturity or emotional intelligence. Mm-hmm. And those mm-hmm. are you know, things I would admit um, to working on. But um, Brett, I was going to add, you, you were being gracious. Um, when, when I sent that first email, um, I, I not only challenged the title of the book, I made the mistake and I made, I might have made the mistake um, trying to change this habit of waking up in the morning and reading emails on my phone in bed. Probably not a great habit. Yeah. And I thought the email was from Brant Cooper, who was previously a guest on this podcast. I know him from entrepreneurship and lean startup circles. And so um, you, the kind of you to not bring up that mistake that I made, but I'm willing to, I'm willing to admit mistakes, I guess. That's all right. That's all right. Yeah, I think I, I think it's fine to read the emails from from bed in the morning. Maybe you just don't respond to them. Maybe that's <laughs> what to do. I don't know. Yeah. But I've been called. I've been called a lot worse than uh, than Brant. So Brant, uh, well, we're, we're, we're we're good. We're good. Um, so the the book, and you know, let's dive into that. Um, we'll get beyond the title of the book and the book again with the subtitle that they ended up going yeah. with. Uh, Brett and mm-hmm. Evans is solving the people problem. Essential skills you need to lead and succeed in today's workplace. And like Brett said, um, it, I mean, it's done really well on Amazon. The reviews are, the, are very positive. And congratulations for this. It's ranked number one on Entrepreneur Magazine's list of nine must-read books for 2021. So I'll raise Thank my you. coffee mug and, and say cheers to you for that. Um, Thank you. Uh, Thank yeah. You. So I always like to ask authors, you know, before we delve more into the detail, um, you know, it's a big undertaking. It's a big accomplishment. Um, a lot of people, um, for different reasons, start a book and, and don't finish it. So you got uh, the book across the finish line. I mean, what was the inspiration um, to, to, to you know, buckle down and um, write and complete and publish a book? You know, I think it goes back to that journey that I introduced uh, at the start that, that talked about, you know, how Evans and I have, have worked together um, 
20 years, we've done a lot of good for a lot of organizations, uh, you know, helping them uh, improve, get better, find better ways to communicate. And we, we essentially recognize, you know, there's, there's only so much that we can do if our focus is around looking for individual clients and looking for individual facilitation and, you know, consulting engagements. And so we, we think that we really stumbled upon something with this whole idea of tying emotional intelligence and personality differences, personality style differences, tying that into the broader uh, uh, behaviors that we all engage in at work. So uh, it kind of goes back to what we were saying about structure sets you free. We have found some structure that in the engagements that we were working on really started to make a difference. And it starts with emotional intelligence, and then it brings in the DISC personality style, uh, overlays that on emotional intelligence. And we just found that it was making such a big impact with some of the organizations that we were working with that we thought, you know, hey, if we were able to write a book, that's going to amplify our voice with this. And, you know, so much of this is, is quite honestly, common sense. And if the, 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 we can get into this a little bit more, but the way the book is structured is really to be application focused. And so we thought if we can put together a, a practical oriented book, not, not an academic book, but a practical oriented book and, you know, provide some extra free tools along with that, Next thing you know, we're, we're going to be living our mission, which since we started Integris has been to expand the existence of healthy organizations in great places to work. And Evans, what, what are your thoughts on you know, kind of the, the genesis and the process and the evolution of the book as, as you were going through that? Well, so, so I'll add a little bit of the, uh, the backstory along the way. My father was an author mm-hmm. uh, and actually wrote seven books on military and tech decorations, right? Very specific, very specific little uh, niche market. Mm -hmm. Um, So I always kind of had the desire to write a book. I never actually put pen to paper and actually got that done uh, until we actually really kind of started talking about this idea and how much this could actually benefit people. Um, It's much of it is things we've been talking about actually for several years with our clients. And it's, and we were hearing stories from them about what it had impacted for them. Uh, both in work relationships, but also in relationships even outside of work. Uh, it just being able to see things in a little bit different light, what that had enabled them to do. And uh, it just seemed, once we kind of realized that, it was like, yeah, we, we actually kind of owe it to people actually put this down uh, and, and share this with a broader set of people. And we've already gotten some stories from people who've gotten the book who aren't our clients, who've actually seen some value out of what they've done. And the, I mean, so it's, it's just gratifying from, from that perspective. Yeah. Uh, having a little bit of structure was really helpful. So we kind of laid out laid out that structure, the upfront of kind of describing the model. Um, the fun part was getting into applications and then going out to people we've worked with and people we know and just saying, tell us your story in your own words. Mm-hmm. You know, what really happened? Did it work? Did it not work? What was going on? And uh, so we tell it. A little bit, we we share a little bit about ourselves, um, a little bit of vulnerability because uh, if this if it's about emotional intelligence, it's also, it's also about being able to be self-aware enough to say, you know what, I don't always get this right. Mm-hmm. So we share a little bit about ourselves. We also share a lot from stories from different people in different industries uh, and different styles about what are the things that they're doing and what's really worked for them. So yeah. it actually kind of became a labor of love to, to actually kind of get this down and get the, these ideas shared with people at yeah. times frustrating along the way, but 
we, we were getting enough positive feedback from people as we kind of talked with them or as we gathered stories from them. Mm -hmm. uh, I, that was a big part of actually helping push this through as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, like I said, pushing it through. And I mean, there, there's a certain passion required, like you said, labor of love to yeah. really to, to get a book over the finish line. So um, again, uh, congratulations for that. Um, Brett, I was wondering if, if you could elaborate, you know, going back to the title and, and you were saying, I think at least half seriously, that you wanted to call it solving the people problem and the problem begins with you. But can you elaborate on that? Um, you know, the, this idea of, of, of culture or um, what, what some might describe as people problems does maybe start to get solved by looking in the mirror. How do you help people see that or what, what are your thoughts on kind of that, that general theme? It starts with you. Yeah, and, and, and we, we emphasize this throughout the book that, you know, if, if you are a leader, and I don't mean in a title sense, but if you just are a, a leader in your organization, on your team, in your life, you know, leaders go first. That's a, that's a quote that Evans and I learned from Jim Coos and Barry Posner, who wrote the, uh, the quintessential leadership book called The Leadership Challenge. And they always emphasize, you know, leaders go first. And, you know, if you are going to uh, look at your life, whether it's in the workplace or anywhere else, and you think that you are going to drive better relationships, you want to drive better relationships, you want to communicate more effectively with people, to look at somebody else and say, it's your problem, you need to fix it. Just, we know that doesn't work, right? That goes right back to some of the, the lean and process improvement things that we work on, right? You can't solve other people's problems. Mm. Uh, you need to solve your side of the problem first. And the, the really unique thing that we've done in this book and, and really what we what we discovered, I would say, that led us to wanting to write the book is we've been big fans of emotional intelligence, the framework and the ideas of emotional intelligence, you know, since Goldman started writing about it uh, in the in the 90s. Um, one of the things that we found with emotional intelligence with some of the ideas that are out there and some of the trainings that are out there is it's a really great concept but it, it, it's a little light on, okay, so what do I actually do? Mm -hmm. Well, we also had some background in understanding personality styles as it relates to communication and interacting with each other. And uh, so, so we have some, some experience with uh, MBTI and Enneagram, but DISC is the model that we find makes the most difference and the most impact in helping people understand how to communicate with each other and how to work together as a team and also understand how you come across in your communications. Um, I, I won't go uh, deep into DISC, but I will just say that it identifies kind of four core personality styles or behavior uh, preference styles that uh, identifies, you know, how, how fast paced are you versus how reserved are you and how accepting are you of new ideas and how skeptical of you are, are you of new ideas. And depending on where you fall on those two spectrums, the way you tend to communicate uh, is, is fairly predictable. Right, so there's some of us that uh, just love to come in with our ideas, and you know we're fast-paced, and we're talk, 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 and we tend to talk over people, and we're you know we, that can be pushy. Mm -hmm. And if we have that kind of a style, and we don't recognize it, so this is going back to your question, Mark, of you know what do you mean it starts with you? Mm -hmm. If you have that kind of personality style where you are you know an, you know an aggressive talker, aggressive communicator, if you don't recognize that you might not recognize that you're walking over people because mm -hmm. most of the people that I know that have that kind of personality style don't actually intend to walk over people. They just do that naturally. Mm 
And, and vice versa, if you have more of that communication style where you sit back, you're more of a, you know, a think it through, not a talk it through. Um, you know, you, you oftentimes will, will have a situation where, you know, your ideas aren't, aren't, aren't being, you know, you're not speaking up and your ideas aren't being you know, the team, the group isn't getting the benefit of those ideas. So again, if you don't recognize that about yourself and you don't recognize eh, sometimes you need to stretch out of your comfort zone and speak up when you might not really want to, you know, you're not going to communicate any more effectively. And so there's a lot of, uh, tangible uh, ideas in this book that utilize that disc kind of insight about, you know, personality style and communication preferences and how you use that to improve and increase your emotional intelligence. And if you can do that, mm-hmm. you then start the ball rolling. And if you can then share with the, your colleagues, some of the same things that you're, you're already learning. Well, then when both parties start to learn the stuff, that's when organizational culture starts going through the roof. That's when teamwork starts to get really productive. And that's really what, what the book's about. Start with yourself and then share it with others. So how much of the focus on emotional intelligence, I've heard it described and I, I have nothing close to expertise on this. Um, I know enough maybe to be conversational here about it. You know, thinking of uh, awareness of self and your emotions or state of being and then there's um, awareness toward others um is is it fair to say some may rank high in self-awareness but have trouble reading the room or um, understanding where others are do these tend to kind of go hand in hand what what are your experiences or thoughts on that there's a there's some correlation between the two but they really are kind of two different skill sets okay um we we see some people uh, I'm always amazed at, at the lack of self-awareness that some people have, um, and myself included at times, to be perfectly honest. And part of what we found as we were looking through the research on this is that most people perceive themselves as emotionally intelligent uh, until it comes down to actually identifying the emotional states that even they're going through themselves. Mm-hmm. And if those emotional states aren't strong emotional states, we tend to mislabel them. We, we're not as aware of them. We're kind of going through the motion. We're not aware of what's driving some of our behavior. So we can, most of us can do a pretty good job of actually getting a little bit deeper and a little bit more self-awareness. And part of what we did by tying DISC to the EQ model here is we've given people a language to start to look into what are those emotional states, what's going on, because part of understanding is actually having a language to be able to describe it. A, a way to pull it apart in a little bit more details. And as you get into it, uh, DISC at its surface is very simple, but there's a great deal of depth to it. It's a model that's been worked on for about 100 years, actually, continuing to add to the, the insights that could be drawn from that model. Although there are four styles, each of those styles is about a quarter of the population. So there's a lot of variation inside of there. And sure. newer instruments can start to differentiate a little bit the some of the differences that you would see in those styles. So getting a better understanding of ourselves is a great first step to understanding others. But the biggest part of this is actually being able to get out of our own heads. It's getting that self-awareness, but being able to step away. Psychology today says emotional intelligence is your ability to manage your own and others' emotional states. So we need to get both of those pieces. So we talk about uh, understanding your own style, knowing your style, and then making decisions wisely, choosing your your actions wisely, because what we find is 
the fact that I may know who I am doesn't mean I'm going to act in a way that actually works with that. Because mm. we've seen people who know how they come across and they've just said, that's who I'm going to be. That's who I right? am. They, they don't have that ability to kind of manage those states, right? Uh, I, I was talking with some, uh, I was talking with a leader who, um, very aggressive. And I said, you know, so one of the things that can sometimes happen with people who come across this way is that sometimes you say things that you regret. And they said, nope, never happens. <laughs> Okay. Um, how about if I just reword that a little bit? What if I were to say, you say things for which you don't like the repercussions? You said, oh yeah, no, that happens every day. <laughs> there you go. Okay. So, so they're even aware it's happening. They just are not going to choose to do anything about it. Right. So that's, okay. that's going to be a problem. Yeah. Then it also comes about knowing other styles because as we started this off with a little bit of the people problem is not only who I am, but when I see other people act or I see other people come at something from a little bit different perspective, I tend to view that through my own lens. And I need to understand that we all have a little bit different lens. So I need to be able to understand other styles. And then the real way in which we use emotional intelligence for our benefit is to actually look for ways that we can get mutual benefit, right? We want to work toward mutual benefit for all parties involved. This isn't about trying to learn enough so that I can manipulate somebody else. It's no, so that we can actually get to the real problem. There are studies talking about how often people think that uh, personality differences are the challenge that we have. It's what causes our conflict at work. A lot of times it's not actually the cause, but it actually contributes to make it very difficult to get to the underlying cause. Mm -hmm. so, so we find that if we're able to get people to better understand both themselves as well as others and be a little bit more, to give a little bit more grace to that conversation, instead of reacting in a, in a defensive manner, I can actually listen because the only way I'm going to learn, the only way I'm going to get better is by hearing other points of view, mm -hmm. not my own. Yeah. So it, it, all of this kind of fits together and it, it's really what helps us mm -hmm. kind of grow uh, in that model. And the beauty of emotional intelligence is unlike IQ, which is really tough to move, EQ is very malleable. Mm -hmm. So this is a set of skills and practices that you can use to get better and better and better at being able to deal with people over time. Yeah. Mark, we can actually give something of, uh, I think, pretty good value to your listeners that ties right to this model that we're talking about. Um, as part of writing the book, uh, when we talked about the know yourself, know others, and the, the application uh, of that knowledge, we created a survey. So uh, on the website that goes with the book, solvingthepeopleproblem.com, mm -hmm. your listeners can go and take a free survey. It's an emotional intelligence survey that will give them a low, medium, high score in each one of those four areas. And importantly, it's, it's not just the score. Uh, for each one of those, it then includes uh, a number of suggestions of, well, what can you do yeah. wherever you're starting from? What can you do to get a little bit better and improve how well you know your style, how well you choose your actions wisely, you know, how, how well you know other styles and how well you adapt your behavior for mutual benefit. So if your listeners go to solvingthepeopleproblem.com and click the what's my disk EQ link, um, they will go right to the page. There's an access code and they can enter lean blog. That will tie it to, to, to you, Mark, and to, uh, to, to your environment. But if they enter lean blog, they'll go right into the, uh, into the, the survey and they'll get their report right immediately. Well, great. I am going to take advantage of that. And Good. I hope listeners and uh, viewers will do that too. I'll put a link um, in the show notes. Great.
um, about that as well. So thank you for uh, mentioning that, Brett. Um, yeah, so Evans, you know, reflecting on what you were saying, I mean, one, one thing that stands out, I think it's interesting you were talking about having language to describe how you're feeling. To me, sounds like the benefits of having language to describe waste, whether we have seven types of waste, or eight or whatever, we don't just say waste value, good, bad, we can start articulating it differently. Do you, do you what do you think of parallels? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That that is a, a pure parallel, um, and it's it's the reason that we talk about uh, the seven or eight wastes um, is because we can all agree that we don't want to. We should get better at emotional intelligence, or we should drive waste out of our process. But we don't recognize that waste unless we have a little bit better definition. And it really is the same thing as we start to understand our styles better and the the behaviors and patterns we should be looking for. Mm -hmm. And, and one other thing I had um, wanted to follow up on, I thought it was interesting the way you framed or, you know, the way we frame a problem. This could be true with mm -hmm. any problem solving. The way we frame a problem can be powerful. Um, what you, you were framing it as saying things you regret versus saying things that have negative repercussions. And I'm, I'm curious um, for, for you, Evans or, or Brett, from your experiences, how often you see people blaming others for the reaction instead of looking in the mirror and saying, well, what am I doing to trigger people or to set them off? It reminds me of the uh, yeah. old expression of, uh, I don't know who heard it from different comedians or you know different contexts. If you're running into more than three jerks a day, the jerk is probably you. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. You know, it's, it's funny in, in uh, uh, you, you, had, you had Tom Peters on uh, yeah. not too long ago and Tom was talking about being a leader in the COVID world. And uh, you know, he, he said, Hey, simply, you know what it is to be a leader in the COVID world? Don't be an a-hole, mm -hmm. right? I mean, that, it's like, yeah. yeah. Uh, so to, to your point about, you know, having low emotional intelligence uh, essentially leads you to lead somebody to have that kind of reaction, Mark, where, mm -hmm. you know, you think that your own, you know, your own stuff doesn't stink and it's, it's every, the problems with everybody else. Right. You know, it's, right. it's, Hey, I, I'm communicating the right way. You know, you're speaking up too much or you're not speaking up enough or you're being too friendly or you're being too skeptical. It's like, well, wait a second. We all live somewhere on these spectrums and there's no right or wrong. They're just different communication preferences. And so if I understand that my style, my communication preference is just that my preference and it's not an absolute right or wrong, then I can start to understand that, hey, when somebody that I'm interacting with has a communication style that is different than mine, mm -hmm. that it's on me to be more effective. It's, it's on me mm -hmm. to find ways to be more effective at communicating with that person. Matter of fact, Evans, uh, can, can you share the the story that dates back to your 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 schooling about the uh, communication and? Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, back in the Stone Ages, when I was at university, um, uh, I had a communications professor who said, "You know, the definition of communication is not what you say. The definition of communication is what the other person hears, mm -hmm. and and that is so true uh, for us." all the time. It's so simple for us to understand that in one way. And it's so simple for us to violate that constantly yeah. and, and really kind of double down on here's how I want to communicate rather than here's what would be effective at you being able to hear me. Yeah. And, and, and that's such an important 
difference for us to take. We have been using this when we've got continuous improvement teams together. We tend to go through the DISC methodology really quickly to talk about how can we communicate more effectively with one another. Part of what led to this book also was the fact that we saw those teams have much more success much more quickly than teams who hadn't done that. Because we got rid of almost a tax on the communication system mm. that happens with most teams. Because we're able to kind of more quickly get to what's the actual issue to deal with rather than what's the differences in how we might be looking at it. So, um, so we've just found kind of huge power in this. And, and part of the expression of how this works and how this can grow, one of, our, one of my favorite clients um, has a leader that I greatly respect. And when we first started working with him, uh, they had tried to do a lean implementation about two years prior, had gotten some people trained, had done some projects. The projects actually worked really well, but kind of the changes in the culture had never kind of happened. Mm-hmm. We started working with him. We said, fantastic. We'll help you with your lean implementation. We're not going to teach any lean for the first couple of months. We want to see what's going on here. We want to talk with you. We want to see a little bit about what's going on in your culture currently. He's a great leader. He's a very private person. Um, he was kind of surprised as we started getting some conversations going that people viewed his being quiet and private as his being very dismissive of their ideas. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's kind of a perfectionist himself, very accuracy driven. Okay. All wonderful stuff. So we were working with him and he's opened up a little bit. He's done the things that are a little bit more energy for him, right? He's flexed in a way to help make that a little bit easier for the organization. I'll give one example that I think is a really powerful one. He and his lead team decided to do an A3 themselves on one of their leadership processes. And they came up with an idea and they tried it and it bombed. It It was horrific. And he balled it up and he threw it in his trash can. It's perfectionist, man, right? Yeah. You don't, I'm not, nobody's going to see this. A little bit of emotional intelligence. He fished yeah. it out of the trash can and he flattened it out and he actually hung it on his office door mm-hmm. saying it's, it's all about experiments. They won't all work, not even mine. Right, right. And Good. what that did for the ability of the rest of the organization to say, okay, so it's okay to take a little bit of risk. It's okay to take the intelligent risk to try something as long as we know we get back out of it, but but it's okay to make that movement. This is an organization that went from really struggling to implement any of this to actually being recognized as one of the most innovative organizations in its area uh, in the United States. So it just really, it's the impact of that emotional intelligence actually is what freed up the ability to really uh, get into lean and really make changes to their processes. Yeah. That's uh, that's that's a great example, and um, yeah, it's just a good thing for um, all of us to reflect on. Yeah, how how do you think you're being versus how do you think you're being perceived, mm-hmm. and is there a gap? That's a good thing to try to reflect on. And you know, at what point does emotional intelligence um, require having a coach to help you see blind spots that you might not be seeing? If there's a gap between what you think is happening. And what's actually happening, the gap between what you think you're saying or how, how you're acting and, and how it's being perceived. So I would say for most people, I don't think you actually need a coach. Mm-hmm. If you're actually curious and you're willing to learn and you're willing to question yourselves. But there are situations where people do need a coach. Where I've seen that happen most frequently is people who are really good at the technical aspects of their job. And they have been pushed forward and forward 
while that has continued to create bigger bigger issues, but they've been rewarded for so long for being able to be a jerk that that yeah, somebody really needs to help them get outside of that. We I mean we've seen the stories about senior executives who are pulled into coaching basically because it's either you're going to leave or you're going to have to grow up. Right. And and the idea here is we should be talking about this with everybody in an organization starting as soon as they join an organization mm-hmm. because the carnage that gets left by somebody who's unwilling right. to learn those lessons along the way just is that's too heavy a cost for an organization. And most organizations don't react quickly enough when that's right. happening. Well, because they're they're happy that they have a jerk who gets stuff done. Um, you know, the the jerk salesman who a salesperson who um, I said salesman because I am thinking about someone way back in my past, um, <laughs> the jerk who delivered results. And at some point the organization may tire of that. Um, you know, Jack Welch, um, in the last couple of years before he passed away, I saw Jack Welch, you know, what, what he talked about was often very different than what you hear about the classic Jack Welch back in the day. But he was talking about, you know, think of like, you know, the consultants love two by two quadrant, right? There's the, are you behaving properly? Are you getting the right results? And even Jack Welch was saying, you can't tolerate someone who's behaving badly, but generating the right results, whether that's sales or profit or performance, because I think as you were saying, Evans, at some point that just runs out or it creates a, a problem because they've risen up so high and then it bites them is what I hear you saying. Yeah. Yeah. I, I had an organization I worked for a long time ago um, where we actually brought in a 360 assessment. We d- designed a 360 assessment. It was actually look at the manager and, and their team. So um, it was inside. It looked at the manager's behaviors. It also looked at the team's behaviors. And the first year we rolled that out, um, I had the lucky job of being able to go to any team that got low results and to actually facilitate a discussion to see what was really going on. Yeah. Um, we had 20 some odd people who left management after that survey and after the feedback. Several of them did not leave the organization. They were really good individual contributors they were really bad leaders. Mm. And the second year was actually the year I got surprised because we did it again. And the second year for the first time we had ever seen, we had teams who said, actually, our our manager's doing okay. We as a team need to change. They they rated themselves lower than they rated their leader. Mm -hmm. They were actually able to own those issues because the leader was doing some of the things to actually create that safer work environment. And they realized, you know what, actually, I've got to grow up a little bit as well. So it's a really interesting process. But, but yeah, companies cannot afford, they have, can deliver numbers and destroy people. That's a yeah. really bad equation. Well, and, and all three of us on, on, on this discussion have, have done executive coaching and, and coached a lot of people. And uh, my guess is that you guys would both agree that the role of the coach is largely to be a mirror to be a mirror and a bride mm-hmm. feedback. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you, know, you know, Mark, to your question around, do people need a coach to improve their emotional intelligence? I, I would agree with, with Evans that you, you, you might not need a, a coach, an actual person being a coach, but you do need to find some way to get some feedback, to have a mirror. Um, you know, and, and that, that survey that is on solving the people problem.com is, is part of that, but something else, uh, that kind of ties into that whole, you know, really understanding what your communication preferences are all about. We use very liberally, uh, disc type assessments. And in fact, we have a tool now 
that creates a, a whole directory, an employee directory for an entire organization that you can go on and you can see, uh, you know, here's all the people in the organization by department. Here's what their disk style is. And here's what that means. Here's their communication preferences. Here's what stresses them out. Here's what they're really good at. And here's some tips. If you're going to go into a meeting with them, if you're going to be working on a, on a, on a lean project, or you're working on a, you know, a sales project, or you're going into some kind of meeting, here's some tips for how you can be more effective with that communication when you're interacting with that person or those people. And, you know, kind of going back to that role of the coach, providing a mirror, providing some feedback, providing some insights, you know, that's, that's, that's a tool that we have found to be very, very effective for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and DISC, D-I-S-C, um, those, those four types, um, I went and looked this up. This is not off the top of my head. Dominant, inspiring, supportive, cautious. We use a little bit different wording. Oh, okay. Uh, what wording this, do you use? Brent, you want to take this for yourself? I, I'll change the S to steadiness and the yeah. C to conscientiousness. Okay. And okay. The, the D is dominance and the I is influential. Influential. So, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 you know, the, the way that I, I, I like to kind of quick and dirty kind of summarize those. The, the D's, the dominance folks, you know, they really focus on, on action, right? Results and action and, you know, kind of challenging thinking. I's, those influence people, they love enthusiasm. They, they also love action, but they're really enthusiastic about ideas and they work with people, right? They're collaborative with people. S's are also very collaborative, but their, their kind of big word would be support or supportive. So I, I think that's the, the S that you use, right? And it's, you know, they, they like to support other people, maybe more behind the scenes more often than not, but they, they kind of like things steady, but they want to support people. And then the C, the conscientiousness, their big word is accuracy, right? Mm-hmm. They want to get it right. So they're going to look at the details. They don't like a whole lot of change typically, but they're going to challenge your thoughts and make sure that you get it right. So that's a, that's a, a, a quick and dirty uh, understanding of what that D I S N C stands for. All right. Well, it, thank you. I should have just asked. And now that I look, yeah, I'm just <laughs> looking on Google, um, there, there's a lot of variation. There's a lot. So um, there's a I, lot. Yeah, I see it's one one model where someone says the C is for compliance, but it's really about details. Is this one diagram says rules, accuracy, details, careful, analytical. So it's sort of like I guess look, you know, sometimes people use different words for the eight types of waste and the same idea Mm -hmm. is still there. Yeah, yeah, as as Evans mentioned yeah. before, DISC was created almost a hundred years ago uh, by uh, a psychologist back in 1928, mm-hmm. and you know it's evolved, it's grown. There are different people that use it for different kinds of assessments and things like that. So what I would say is, don't get hung up on the specific what's the D word, what's the I word, what's the S word, what's the C word, and it's right. really more understanding. You know, what are the preferences? And I'd say, really, really importantly, can't emphasize this enough: it is not to be used as a label for anybody, for what they can and can and or cannot do, right? We are all a blend of these styles. We have preferences, but it doesn't mean we can't do something else. So for example, I'm a, I'm a high I, love the enthusiasm, which is kind of directly opposite of the C, which is all about accuracy. Mm-hmm. But I run our books. I'm a, I'm a finance MBA. <laughs> I can do spreadsheets. Right. But I tell you, working on a spreadsheet for hours by myself, while I can do it, 
it takes a whole lot more energy than doing something like this or getting on a stage or, you know, facilitating a conversation. Right. So it's not, can you, or can you not do it? It's, well, what are your preferences? Preference. What are your, you know, what do you, what do you, what do you enjoy and where does it take more or less energy? Yeah. Well, I'm going to take that assessment. I'm guessing I'm a high C, but that doesn't mean here's the rub with me. I don't always have the greatest attention to detail myself, but then that bothers me. Mm -hmm. But um, <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, we, we'll, we'll get to look not being a perfectionist doesn't yeah, mean you're perfect. I'm yeah. Sure. So. yeah, preference is not skills. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. Um, well, good. So um, our guests today have been uh, Brett Cooper and Evans Kerrigan from the firm Integris Performance Advisors. Uh, their book again released, uh, it was September, is that right? Correct. Released in September, Solving the People Problem, Essential Skills You Need to Lead and Succeed in today's workplace. Um, so, so Brett Nevins, uh, before, and, and you mentioned again, the website is solvingthepeopleproblem.com. Look for that free assessment, use the code leanblog. Um, thanks to both of you for offering that. Um, let me give each of you kind of, you know, like one final word. Is there kind of one other thought or tidbit that you want to share with the audience before we go? I, I'd conclude by saying if, if if I were to kind of summarize what we're trying to share with the world these days, it's about take the time to understand and honor the differences between us. If we can do that, kind of going back to what Tom Peters was saying on your show a couple of months ago, you know, as you're being a leader here in the COVID world and beyond, you know, don't be a jerk and recognize that those differences between us, that's actually the strength between us. Don't let it frustrate you. And the best way to not let it frustrate you is to understand it because that will then open the door for you to honor it. Well said. Super. Uh, I'll, I'll take just a little bit different flavor on that and say that uh, when somebody approaches something from a different perspective, it is how you choose to respond to that. You can respond to that by trying to double that on your own perspective, or you can say, here's the opportunity for me to see something new. Here's the opportunity for me to grow and expand and potentially for us to create something of extra value. So if I can honor those differences, recognize those differences, it also allows me to start to hear new perspectives and to grow. And that's that's really what, at the end of the day, that's really what this is about. All the creativity I need from Lean comes from actually being able to hear those differences too. Well, great. Well, great thoughts and, and notes to end on. Uh, so Brett Cooper, Evans Kerrigan, um, thanks to both of you for um, taking time, being a great guest here on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thanks, Mark. A lot of fun. Thank you, Mark. Thanks, Mark. Okay. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.